meditations about the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly no one has ever produced a painting that we could say is an authentic painting of the features of the face of our dear Lord Jesus. And yet the other day I got to thinking about the faces of Jesus and their changing expressions. Certainly our Lord's expression revealed a great deal to those who knew him and looked upon him about his own heart. Now I'm not by any stretch of the imagination an artist. I've hardly been able in my lifetime to paint anything like stick men. Uh, Most people are able to do that. But I even kind of mess up when it comes to painting nothing more than stick men. But if I were an artist, I would like to paint a portrait of the Lord Jesus. But I am definitely sure that I would have a real problem when it came to painting the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's often been said that a man's face is the window of his soul. And I think if we were to have an opportunity to look in the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus into his face, I think as you would look upon those expressions of his face, we would have a great deal revealed to us about the very heart and the very soul of our Lord Jesus. The soul of man, of course, is the seat of man's emotions, his likes, his dislikes, and so forth. And as you observe and read about the earthly life of the dear Lord Jesus, you'll find that the scripture relates to us that there were many varied emotional experiences in the heart and in the life of our precious Savior. There indeed were those feelings that he experienced of pity. He looked upon the multitude and with great pity he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Can you somehow envision in your own mind an expression that would portray pity or a sense of mercy from the heart? And I think if you could, you would have something of an understanding of the features of the face of our Lord Jesus. There were those emotions of pain that he experienced. Surely no one has ever been able to capture on canvas a feature of the face of Jesus hanging on the cross. I think, however, that we so often forget that his features on the cross were features of a man in great pain. But yet as well, I think the Lord Jesus experienced in his soul not only feelings of pity and not only feelings of pain, but indeed he experienced a feeling of pleasure. Indeed, pleasure it was when those who came to him went away having their sicknesses healed are having their soul cleansed of their sin. I think there was an expression of pleasure and delight upon the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. But yet when you think about all of those varied emotions of the Lord Jesus, how could any artist, I don't care how accomplished he may be or may have been, how could he harmonize in one portrait the facial features of one who felt pity and pain and pleasure all at the same time. It is utterly impossible. And yet again, if I were an artist, though I'm not, but if I were, I think I would have to paint several portraits of the face of the Lord Jesus 
And were I to be able to accomplish that, I'd like to hang them in one special gallery, one after the other, so we might get an idea of the feelings of the soul of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to do tonight is to look with me in the Bible gallery at some of the portraits of the Lord Jesus when it comes to the face of the Son of God. Again, none of us have ever, has ever seen his face. But thank be unto God one of these days, we're going to feast our eyes upon the very face of our Lord Jesus Christ. The beautiful hymn, uh, uh, Face to Face, says it, I think, so, so wonderfully and so full of expression. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Only faintly now I see him with a darkening veil between, but a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face, the hymn writer says, oh, blissful moment. Face to face to see and to know, face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loved me so. So we have not seen his face as yet, but one day we will look upon the face of the precious Son of God. I want you, if you will, to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, and we'll look at a feature of the face of our Lord Jesus that is noted here in the 17th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. You'll immediately recognize that this passage of Scripture records that event that we commonly know as the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus. He had gone upon the mount, and most men believe that it is Mount Hermon, a mount that is very high, some 9,000 9, feet, actually 11,000 above sea level. You can see it actually in the parts of the Middle East uh, from as far away as 100 miles. The peak of that mount stands up. But nonetheless, regardless of where that mount was, we know it was a mount. And Matthew chapter 17 tells us about it at verse number one and verse number two. And notice what it says. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. I want you to see in this passage the shining face of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the, the fact that is mentioned here in the word, verse two, the word transfigured, it is the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. Uh, the, it is the word metaphoro, which simply means a, a transformation from what's on the inside to the outside. Metamorphosis occurs when a little caterpillar becomes a beautiful butterfly. And here what we have is the very basis and the root of that word that we're familiar with. But the word transfigured simply tells it, I think, in language that any of us could surely understand. The shining face 
seems to be the characteristic of all of those who live and are in the presence of God. Remember way back in the Old Testament when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and there the Lord had given to him the commandments and he brings them down to the children of Israel In Exodus 34 and verse 29, you will read something like this about Moses who had been in the presence of the Lord. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Here's the shining face of those who seem to have been in the very presence of the Lord. I think not only of Moses, but I think of Daniel and those Hebrew boys who were down in Babylon. And remember, Daniel had made a commitment that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor drink the wine that the king provided. And so uh, refusing uh, to take the king's meat, the prince of the eunuchs who was over Daniel and those Hebrew uh, slave boys down in Babylon, he became quite disturbed. And he said to Daniel and these uh, fellows, why should the king see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Why he's saying, if you don't eat the king's meat and drink his wine, then you're gonna have a terrible look when you come to stand before the king here in Babylon. But Daniel had made a request. He requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel was a committed young man. He was an obedient young man to all that God had taught his forefathers and himself. And Daniel was not about to break any command of God to please anybody. And so he requested, rather than eat the king's meat, that he had simply eat pulse that, that the Hebrew boys would themselves provide. And so they ate. And after 10 days of the test, Their countenance, verse 15 of Daniel 1 says, their countenance, their face that is, appeared fairer than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. So it seems to me that the shining face is characteristic of those who have been living and walking in company with God. You take a saint of God who's been walking with the Lord throughout the days and years of his life, you don't really have to ask him too much about where he has been and what he's doing. There is something about the expression of a godly woman or a godly man that somehow somehow even uh, somehow uh, bespeaks that shining face. There is an inward calm and peace and glory that just emanates through that person's life. Often they don't have to say a word. They've been walking with the Lord. How many times I've been on an airline or met some person that I've never known before and I look at that person and often I've done this special on an airline, a person seated next to me or across the aisle and I track up a conversation with them and I say something like this. You must be a Christian. And with a great smile on their face, they say, I sure am. You must be a Christian as well. Oh, that there's something in the soul of the trusting child of God that leaks out on the face. And our Lord Jesus, the Bible says, that his face was a shining face. Yet how different are those who live a life of sin and disobedience. The sallow, 
the shallow, the hollow look of those who live a life of constant rebellion. Their facial expression is that of an expression of emptiness. I'll never forget being in New Orleans, Louisiana in a meeting and the pastor wanted me to go down with him just to see Bourbon Street. I've only seen it one time and I wanted to take three baths when I got off out of that, out of that section. I felt that dirty. And yet again, I walked down the street and here were the women of the street. I deliberately looked into the face and the eyes of one of those, uh, of one of the women who, had, uh, who was selling her body for the lust of evil men And I saw nothing but emptiness, deadness, no life, no sense of inner calmness or peace or joy. Sin had seemingly sapped out of that precious woman's life and her very body, all that was vibrant and appealing. And so it is that those who live in sin, ah, the pleasures of sin may last for a moment, but then comes the ugliness that sin leaves. I read some time ago of a practice in the country of India. Women there, in order to enhance their beauty, took small quantities of arsenic, not enough to poison, but just small quantities. And they took it because they found that when they did, their faces had a glow about them, their faces seemed to flush, and there was an apparent beauty about them. And yet, though that was true, it was only true momentarily. For within a matter of a couple of years, those same girls and women who had had such a glow of beauty about them from taking the small quantities of poison, soon their faces became defaced and, and scarred and marred and their beauty had faded to ugliness. And that's the way sin does an individual. But all the beauty of holiness that was within our Lord Jesus came forth from without. And that's the beauty that God says ought to be in your life and in mine. Just a Sunday ago, we studied here as we are studying the book of 1 Timothy. And we talked of what Paul said about women, godly women. And how that the beauty of their lives is not a beauty that comes from hairdos and cosmetics, but it is the beauty of an inner self, a beauty of holiness, a beauty of godliness, and there's where real beauty stems from. Our Lord Jesus was clothed with a veil of human flesh. He was God in the flesh. Prior to this event on the Mount of Transfiguration, our Lord had wondered and questioned those about him. Who do men say that I am? And some said, you're John the Baptist, others Elias. And finally, Jesus said, and who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Ah, the spirit of the Lord had revealed that to him. And yet Jesus was concerned about that and about him certainly following the will of the heavenly father for the redemption of mankind. And here now he is on the mount. And while there on the mount, his true identity is revealed before Peter, James, and John. For there the Bible says that his face shone as the sun. His raiment turned brilliant white. And they observed that. That was something Peter never forgot. And if you read the epistles of First and Second Peter, you'll find that he even refers to that great and wondrous experience of seeing the shining holiness and the character and the identity of the Lord Jesus just coming on the outside. 
And so it is, our Lord Jesus was the, had a shining face for he was God manifest in the flesh. I think not only that, as remarkable yet as that shiny, the shining face of our Lord Jesus and even the expression on the faces of Moses and Elijah who appeared with Jesus on that mount. I think uh, their glow was a far different shine than what occurred to our Lord Jesus on that mount. Someone said it like this. You might well say that their glory was like a holy sunburn. (laughs) Well, that may say it. What I'm trying to say is the glory, the shining of those on the mount outside of the Lord Jesus was something that came from without. But in the case of our Lord Jesus, it was that that was within God manifest, veiled in the flesh. Now that was a manifestation. His glory was seen outwardly. The glory that was seen was that glory that he had from the very beginning. It was the very majesty of of his inner self that broke through that frail veil of flesh and began to glow before them. The heavenly sunshine shone out for Peter and James and John to behold and to see. What What artist is there who could really capture such a scene as that on the Mount of Transfiguration? There's a second face that I think if I were an artist, I would like to paint of the Lord Jesus. And that's the face that I call the suffering face. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14 describes his face as the suffering servant. And it says it like this, Isaiah 52, 14. His visage, that is his appearance, his face, was so marred more than any man. In other words, his face was so marred as to be unrecognizable as a human being. The suffering, the agony, the pain that he experienced was was planted on the face of our Lord Jesus. His face was twisted by agony. His face was bruised by the punches of those who were about him at that day and that dreaded hour of crucifixion on the cross. So very mercilessly he was scourged until the flesh of his back was broken and cut and bleeding. He was forced, you remember, to carry his cross by himself up to the, up to the summit of Calvary's brow. And yet even the soldiers who were there attending recognized that Jesus could carry the cross no farther. And they had one compelled to carry the cross of the Lord Jesus. There when they nailed him to that cross tree and raised it up and let it sink down quickly into the hole that was dug to hold that cross. The very flesh of our Lord Jesus tore Can you not imagine that Isaiah could only say his face, his visage was such a picture of suffering that his his very being was beyond recognition as a human being. As a very result of all this, his face had become distorted by pain. Oh, but remember he did all of that and suffered all of that pain because of his love for us that we could be saved and have a heaven for all eternity is ours. There's yet another face I think I should paint. 
not only the shining face, not only the suffering face, but I'd like, I think, to paint the sorrowful face. For our Lord did experience sorrow. You know when a person is in sorrow and grief, you don't have to ask them. You can tell by looking at them. You can tell by the expression of their face. There is a, there is a sorrow deep on the inside. I base that on the fact of what is written in Luke chapter 22. And if you'd like to turn there, turn with me to Luke 22 and look at verse number 59. And here is that that I base the fact of the sorrowful face of our Lord Jesus on. Luke chapter 22 at verse 59. And the word reads like this, and you'll recall this incident. For Simon Peter had sworn that he would not deny our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had been arrested. Simon Peter is standing out by the fire, observing what is going on at the trial and the hearing of the Lord Jesus. Verse 59 of Luke 22 says this, and about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed saying, of a truth this fellow, that is Peter, was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. There must have been an expression of deep sorrow on the face of our Lord Jesus when he turned and looked at Simon Peter and Peter saw him looking at him. This one of his own disciples who had vowed so vehemently and so emotionally and so convincingly and said, Lord, everybody else may deny you, but not me. I'll never deny you. But ah, oh, this one who had sworn so that he never would has now denied the Lord Jesus. It must have broken the heart of the precious Son of God. Certainly our Lord was indeed as Isaiah had prophesied of him, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, the heartbreaking sorrow that you and I often bring to our Lord Jesus. We break his heart and bring him sorrow by our disobedience, knowing what God says, knowing what he'd have us do, and yet we violate that very command. Not only our disobedience, but our doubting, our doubting coming from fear and unbelief when our Lord makes his promise and yet we question whether he can take care of us, whether they can keep us, whether they can save us. Oh, how it must break the heart of our Lord Jesus. Not only our doubting, but our distance from him. How far behind him we are. We linger, we stay behind, we shirk responsibility. We don't want to give ourselves to the task. Not only that, but as Peter, our denial. How often we deny him. When we could testify to others of his saving grace, we deny him. We deny him by our words. We deny him by what we do, the places we go, how it must break the heart of our Lord Jesus. And in that moment of heartbreaking, I think if you could see his face, you would see a face that was the expression of deepest sorrow. I think Job's words describe, not only describing himself, but describes best the Lord Jesus in Job 16 and verse 16, the old patriarch said, my face is foul from weeping. My face is foul 
from weeping. And then I remember in Luke chapter 19 at verse 41, I see that sorrowful face. He comes near, the Bible said, Luke 19, 41, and as he came near to the city, he beheld it. And beholding it, he wept over it, saying, Oh, if thou hadst known in this thy day the things that belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. He went on, goes on to prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem. He saw all of that. No wonder he was sorrowful. And I wonder as he looks at you and me, knowing what result our disobedience, our sin, our ignoring of him, knowing all of that, I wonder, does it not break his heart and bring sorrow to his expression? The sorrowful face of our Lord Jesus. And then I want you to look at another scene. The portrait of him that we must remember is the portrait of the solemn face. Listen, girls. The solemn face of our Lord Jesus. Look in Revelation chapter 6 with me. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15. A day is coming when men, having seen that solemn face, will want to get away from it. Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 15 and down through verse 17. The word solemn, by the way, means that which is characterized by majesty, mystery, or power. And that very scene, exciting, grave, or serious thoughts on the part of people. I've seen folks, and often I'm up at the courthouse at the request of the folks up there and go up often and open court in prayer. I'll not forget, but just a while back I went there and here was a man who was being brought up before the court on a, on a, uh, in a murder trial. And I don't think I've ever seen a more frightened look on a man's face in my life. As he sat there, he looked at the judge when he came out. The judge with a very solemn and stern and majestic look about him. All height must have caused grave concern and thought to this man accused of such a terrible crime to have to stand before the judge. Ah, he looked upon, as it were, a solemn face. But look at this scene in Revelation 6 and verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us, notice, from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? For many people, the theme of judgment is a forgotten or neglected or rejected theme. People don't like to think about a moment when they'll stand accountable before God. And when men who are aware and conscious of the sin and the wrong in their life see his face, oh, I believe from that solemn face, all men will wish to flee and to hide themselves from the gaze of the one who sits upon the throne. Knowledge demands responsibility. And tonight, if you have heard the gospel, if you have heard in your lifetime the message of Jesus Christ, 
I tell you, you are held responsible for how you respond to that message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You will give an account someday as to your reception or your rejection of that very message. But I tell you with all joy of heart, Jesus died to make salvation and forgiveness possible. But you see, if people ignore or, as I said, reject what he has done and what he said, as the scripture declares, there is only one thing that that person who rejects and despises that message, only one thing they can look for. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27 they will look far and can only look far a certain fearful looking far of judgment. For he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Nothing left for a person who has rejected the message of the gospel but to look for that certain judgment. I think of John on the Isle of Patmos. The scripture says in John's own words, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, the solemn face. And yet, let me close with reminding you of yet another expression. It's the serene face of our Lord Jesus. Revelation 22 and verse number four says, and they shall see his face. The redeemed. We will see his face and it'll be a serene face. The word serene means clear, fair, calm. Having its brightness undimmed. The serene face we'll see of our Lord Jesus. It is that expression that marks a peaceful repose. It is that expression that bespeaks tranquility the spirit, the soul unruffled. For when we stand and see him in that, in that day, all of the battles will be over. Victories will have been won. The kingdom of our Lord shall have been established. The very completion of our salvation will have taken place. No longer will his face then be an expression, a face of suffering. No longer will it be a face that expresses sorrow. No longer a face that expresses solemnity, but a face that expresses serenity, calm, peaceful, joy, all that is associated with any such thought. Nothing in heaven to disturb the soul. Nothing in heaven to disturb not only the Savior, but nothing to disturb the saint as well. In that place, there will be no hospitals. There will be no cemeteries, no funeral parlors. There will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be no rebellion. There will be no crime. There will be no sin. There will be no tears. There will be no fears. Who could not have a serene expression when all is so calm, all is so wonderful, all is so, all is so peaceful? 
there in that place instead of all of the ugly things that have brought us such expressions of fear to our own hearts. There in that place will be the river of the water of life. There will be the new Jerusalem, the walls of Jasper. There will be the angels, the servants, the flaming servants of God. There will be as well a choir in which will sing, as the scripture says, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. How'd you like to lead a choir of that big, Carl? All of the thousands of the ages singing of the grace of God, singing of this one who is so serene and resting upon the throne forever and forever to rule and reign over his people. Oh, how many wonderful things there will be in heaven. And that serenity of the face of Jesus Christ, I believe, will be reflected in the face of every redeemed soul throughout all the ages. Happy indeed and joyful is the man or woman who can say with assurance, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. May God do such a work in my heart and in yours that the very emotion of Jesus Christ within us will shine from on the inside out. That men will see in us something of the reflection of our Lord Jesus. I could never paint any of these pictures, but I know one who can give you a vision of heart and you can see it. The precious Holy Spirit of God through his word can unveil the features of our Lord Jesus. What a day it'll be when we see it in that that land far beyond this earth. God help us to be faithful. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, we must admit that we have often longed to see his face. We've longed in in our heart and moments of meditation that we could just journey back through time and walk yonder beside the roaring waves of the Sea of Galilee and hear that majestic voice of his and then stand and look with awe upon his face. And yet, Father, we want somehow a bit of that likeness of Jesus to be reflected in us. Dear Father, may somehow you bring us as we yield to your working, to your word, to all the experiences, the the thrills, the disappointments, all that occurs in our life, may we somehow be brought into the likeness of our Lord Jesus. Now, Father, if there be one in our midst tonight who does not know this Savior who died for us, who suffered for us, Willingly, may they come to you tonight. Then, Father, for those who are thy children who need to to follow your leading in their life, give them courage to do that. We pray, Heavenly Father, for any who need to come to the fellowship of our church, may their lives be a testimony for Christ and their willing obedience. Then, dear Father, we pray for those of us who are here. Oh, Lord, may our hearts be energized. May we realize that it's our individual responsibility. And so often we look to the church as a whole to do the thing of soul winning and the knocking on doors. But may we realize it's our individual responsibility. May we be diligent in that, in that matter. Father, help us now as we in visions of soul look upon his face. 
May we be obedient to you tonight, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation hymn, Brother Carl. Just as I am without a plea, familiar to all of us. If you're here tonight, hear me carefully. You don't really know you're saved. You need to come and receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Do it tonight. Tomorrow may be too late, far too late. God never promises us another opportunity. He gives us the moment. And if you need Christ as your Savior, I urge you to come. Open your heart. Invite him to come in. If you're here tonight and you're a child of God, and the Lord's spoken to your heart about some area of your life that needs to be just needs to be committed to him. Why don't you come and do that as you're about this altar? If you're here tonight and you wish to come to the fellowship of our church, come and tell us your desire as we sing together this old hymn of invitation. Sing it with us and you just mind the Lord as we sing it.